Hey, Cameron. How's it going? Hey, it's going good. Yeah, that's such a chill freaking song. I get hyped up for it like almost nice. like every single. I appreciate that. every single time. I'm really glad we record on ZenCaster because it's like right. we can we, can we actually get it. to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, and I can get it's like, it's like I'm LeBron James, and I'm just like I'm gonna go chalk <laughs> throw chalk in the air and just. But yeah, <laughs> I mean that's pretty high standard, but but yeah. I feel that. I, I thanks for the compliment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how was your week this week, Cameron? Um, it's been pretty like the same as the last, you know, mm-hmm. eight months maybe. Is that how long it's been since quarantine? The Eleven months, Re- relatively. <laughs> you know, yeah. Fuck. I'm just I'm just trying to think what I've what I've been doing in this last week. A lot of the same stuff. Just staying at home, playing a lot of video games, playing music. I got a coveted achievement in Sea of Thieves. Finally, it's a legendary thief commendation. I'm just so happy I got that. Like, right. like it's sort of like my end game for that game. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll Even still though play. that game doesn't end, but you're right. It, it doesn't yeah. have an end game, but that's that's been a goal of mine for a few months now. I've been set out to get that legendary thief title, and it like any time a player will find me in the game, it'll it shows my gamer tag right above above my character, and then it shows your title that you choose and you earn. And so now everyone sees me as a legendary thief under my gamer tag. Nice. Had to steal five chests of legends, which are one of the most rare chests in the game you gotta you gotta live to that title yeah Legendary yeah no I, I really do yeah <laughs> yeah i've just what been playing you? like a lot of animal crossing like just trying to grind to get to toy day which i thought toy day was supposed to last like the entire month but it just apparently just starts on december 24th what is, is toy day? Of, uh, that's the christmas day uh, right they, they can't call it christmas because right rights yeah, but yeah, that game is still good. I freaking love Animal Crossing. You should definitely hop on and like. And yeah, I, I I want to. It's just it's it's harder to get back into it after I've already had so many hours just go down the drain. Right, with your Switch breaking. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I I struggled with that same issue, but it's just such a good game. It's such a chill and relaxing game and especially with like this week that was just a little rough just because like i wasn't feeling very well on sunday and then monday i'm just like like should i get tested and it's like i'm feeling better now uh it's still getting tested on wednesday but yeah it's just the entire like year or 11 months or eight months that we've been in this like every little thing that i have that's wrong i'm just like oh crap do I, I guess I should worry about this. I guess that's good in a way. Like, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, I don't like living like this. But, it's a weird way to live. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm better now. But that's good. Uh, that's good. me too. I'm, I have dips, you know, my mm-hmm. ups and downs, life, and, you know, it's like a roller coaster, you know? Yeah. I, I'm better now because I had a pretty good laugh this week because Big Mouth season four came out. Oh, nice. Uh, did did you watch that at all? I don't. I don't watch Big Mouth. Oh, it's so good. You need to watch it. Go I tried. I tried watching it with my roommates, but I'm just not into the humor as much. It's kind. Oh, of, you know, I can I can appreciate it, but it's not something I'll uh, go out of my way to watch. Now, Mandalorian, on the other hand, I, I still need to get no, you, no spoilers. Oh my god! <laughs> I won't spoil anything, but the last week's episode had me pumped up. I'm. I was just so happy to see what they did, 
and they did it. And I was just like, yes. To see like all the blowback, it actually like I need to get into it. So it's like it has 100% completely redeemed my faith in any new Star Wars content, you know? That's something big to hold on to for Mandalorian, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a it's a high standard, I think, but like, oh, I mean, maybe it's not. I mean, I you know, I I don't want to like shit all over Disney or anything, but yeah, you know, the new sequels kind of like made me lose that uh, magic feeling I get when I when I used to watch Star Wars, you know, and mm-hmm. and now that uh you know, actually, Mandalorian made me start watching the Clone Wars animated series. Mm-hmm. Oh, you never watched it before? I, I've seen episodes, and I had a roommate I lived with a couple of years ago who watched the first season, and I watched it with him, but he, he lost interest, so I didn't really, like, I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of sad, but, like, again, I didn't really care to to go out of my way and find a way to watch it, but uh, the Mandalorian series has definitely referenced a lot of things from the clone war series and and no spoilers but has a, a introduced character from the clone war series so you know it's also dave filoni who mm-hmm. also worked on clone wars so like it just drew me back to it i'm on season two right now and i just can't wait for it to start getting juicy i haven't seen it in quite some time but when i did watch watch it like clone wars is like probably some of my favorite star wars content it's up there. Yeah, it really uh, embraces the Star Wars feeling. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people pushed it off just because, like, there's always this stigma with, like, cartoons. Like, it's for kids. Yeah. But, like, when they look at the content, like, it's up there with, like, some of the better Star Wars movies, I think. It definitely is. And I definitely feel that, I don't, I don't want to say immature, but that sort of how it's curating for children or for a younger audience you know i could definitely see how oh like the droids are like quipping jokes like making fun of themselves like pretty much every every point they get but you know i mean it's star wars and yeah. it's it's an animated series but they tell whatever story they want to tell mm-hmm. i do love watching a good animated movie it's kind of targeted towards a younger audience because the sort of meaning behind every episode is a lot more clear cut. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to see what they're trying to tell you as opposed to maybe a Christopher Nolan movie, Mm -hmm. which can be a hundred times more complicated and intricate and diverse. A good story and a good message, no matter how complicated it can be. But yeah, speaking of that, Speaking of that, Inception, we watched that. Cameron, wow. you want to go first? <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I think <laughs> I know how we, we gush over every movie every time we've been doing this. Yeah. It's kind of a common thing to say, oh, this was my favorite Nolan movie. But I, I think hands down, without a doubt, this is probably my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Really? Yeah. I feel like after watching it a second time, because I remember seeing this in theaters a couple of times and I watched it again when it came on deep, on Blu-ray. And then watching it now, I feel like I was a little bit more critical of it. And like I can kind of see why there's a, a group of people out there that just don't get it. I can kind of be in their camp a little bit because this movie is very complicated to like understand. But like, like I understand it and I understand like why Nolan made it. and. Like, this also kind of continues 
his themes of pretty much every movie that we've like talked right. about reality our perception of said mm-hmm. reality uh guilt not to you know not to mention some of the other ontological uncertainties he presents about identity i don't know if if it was you know i was in the same boat with everybody when we watched it for the first time i was confused there were a lot of things i didn't understand you know the direction or the the sort of timeline of the story took me a little bit to think about and actually get through my head but after a second third and probably fourth viewing it was when i really started to really understand depth of the film and what it was trying to tell me not only what it was trying to tell me but what i was able to tell myself things like when i first watched it i didn't know that i didn't really understand or grasp what happened when he uh, when cobb completed the inception of uh, an idea to his wife mall and that's how he knew it was possible i didn't really understand what was going on there completely until i had maybe rewatched it a couple times i think before we started this series i had mentioned i watched it because for whatever reason something made me want to watch it and i watched it and then we discussed it and then the idea came along to talk about nolan movies Mm-hmm. And then I actually watched it twice this week. It's personally my favorite because I think it's the most emotional movie out of all of Nolan's films. I think it really hits with emotions because, I mean, it also directly speaks about that. And when it comes to they were trying to incept an idea into Fisher's mind and they needed him to have a, an emotional state of uh, catharsis the third level of the dream right and it, it needs to they need to act on emotion and not as opposed to like rational thought you know what i mean they needed him to be inspired by his own emotion you know not to not to mention the the more impactful thing to me was not only uh fisher's relationship with his dad and the moment of catharsis he gets in the vault in the hospital at the end, but the moment of catharsis that Cobb gets with Maul um, near the end of the film when they're in that state of limbo. Mm-hmm. There's just so much, so much raw, real emotion there. And it's like he's not actually speaking to his wife. He's speaking to himself. And he's reconciling with his own guilt. All those feelings were being projected into were basically projected into Maul because the Maul we see wasn't the real Maul. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. The thing that I'm a little bit lukewarm about this film is that like I'm seeing it from like a different angle. Like now, like when I rewatch this is that every Christopher Nolan film is I s- kind of pull like this is kind of Christopher Nolan st- telling like his film career, like uh, Insomnia, like you obviously had like the new detective and then the the detective that was it wasn't his first job on the scene and then this it like an inception like this is kind of like christopher nolan kind of describing like what's it like to create a film how to go deeper and deeper into like you see what i'm saying or yeah yeah definitely. There, there's there's a lot of um parallels with mm-hmm. how dreams relate to, to film as well you know and, uh, and also just like his relate Cobb's relationship with Maul, how he basically started losing the people that he loved, the deeper he went into someone's dreams. 
So it's like Christopher Nolan being so invested into creating these stories to entertain other people or just entertain himself. He's kind of lost the people that am I looking too much into this? I don't think I, uh, I mean, I don't know about Christopher Nolan's personal life or anything, but yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know about his personal life either, but he comes off in his interviews as a very grounded person. Mm -hmm. It's just something to think about and just interesting way to tell a narrative. Um, You definitely struck a chord with me when you mentioned how there's a lot of elements from his former films that are brought all together in this film, like especially Memento, you know, uh, when it comes to your perception of reality and how a lot of Christopher Nolan's characters sort of ignore, deny or repress the uh, a more factual reality to give themselves purpose. Like I forgot his name, the character and Lenny in Memento or to maintain hope like Batman in Dark Knight. Or in this particular case, to find peace with themselves, like Cobb, you know, who has to reconcile with his own subconscious. What it, what it says in between the lines and, and how it, it sort of makes us question our own perception and subjectivity. You know, I actually like have like four pages of notes right here. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I just like, I don't know where to start. I think uh, what I love about this film of how how it's crafted and just like how the world he builds too is they show like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character kind of setting up like the machine on how to incept someone's dreams. But we never know the name of that machine. We never know like who created this, like how it even works. He just hooks someone up to it and it just works. Mm -hmm. And I think more movies need to do something like that because leaves it up to our imagination on how something like this works instead of like constantly telling the audience like, Oh, this is this. Right. It was invented by this person in 1987 or something like mean. that. They, it's he, like, he does an incredible job with exposition and, you know, mm-hmm. the beginning of the film, we're immediately exposed to what happens when you die in a dream. What do they do to get in that dream state, you know, with that machine with that, in the briefcase and mm-hmm. the kick, you know, when they push him in the uh, push Leo's character, Cobb, into the bathtub, mm-hmm. you know, and the projections all coming to find the dreamer, mm-hmm. you know, all all those things and all of the uh, probably other elements of the film I haven't touched on were all given as exposition to us in the first, what, 15 minutes. And, and these are all like does. this is all like terminology, like the kick or just like all the these stuff is he's setting up. This is all new. It's not like it's stuff that he's written up and it's not like right. science. Like it's like, oh, yeah, there's this thing called the kick. It's like my character says that I'm like, OK, that makes sense. Kicking themselves out of a dream. And it's not like like it doesn't sound corny. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's, it mm-hmm. sounds like realistic, real. grounded. Yeah, but they they don't have. They don't tell us, they show us, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's one thing, like you said, to, to have a movie or a TV show describe uh, an element of the film or an object and saying who made it, blah, blah, blah. All that shit doesn't matter. What matters is what it does and how we see it, not how they tell it to us, you know? So you were right. You're right about that. I mean, there's so many things we could talk about. Right. I think the one thing definitely that was on everybody's mind when the movie ended you know, was Totem 
Yeah. Because that was the last thing you saw, Totem Authority mm-hmm. Shake, but you don't get that. I guess we'll spoil it, right? Well, I mean, we're come on. <laughs> but, it's like um, nine years old. Yeah, you might as well. Come on, um, <laughs> you gotta go watch it if you're if you're listening to a podcast discussing a movie. You know. Yeah, exactly. It, it, what are you anyway. doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it had us wondering. It did. It didn't get us the affirmation that we wanted, but it also made us ask a question that Mall had tormenting herself. But it was sort of like an idea that was deeply rooted into her mind because of Cobb was that are we dreaming or are we not you know what is what is our reality how can I know what's real and what's what's not and and that sort of lasting shot at the film kind of makes you ask that question right like mm-hmm. was dreaming was Maul right or so and so and to me it's not really you know the answer that matters so much what really matters is how it worked its way you know that sort of idea worked its way into our mind mm-hmm. you know and it's funny saying that because it's like the movie was incepting something into us mm-hmm. as it was trying to do inception to fisher and potentially Cobb, which is something we'll get into i think that what I love the most about this ending, and I kind I kind of wish because Christopher Nolan has come out and said like the real truth of that ending, whether it stops spinning or it continues to spin. I what I love before he said that was that the way he cuts it makes this movie timeless. Like people can talk about this movie for years and decades, uh, just because like there's there's so many like interpretations of this and. I don't actually remember what Christopher Nolan has said. I'm I'm actually kind of glad because I have like my own interpretation of like, I still think he's dreaming and I feel like he's like, he so, created like this world, like around him because this is like the moment where he right. is the happiest. Right. But I feel like that's. Let's assume he is dreaming. Let's assume that Cobb's reality is a dream. So in, in my mind, it, I was thinking about this during the film too. Because, of course, it's, you know, you, you just have to ask it after you've seen the film more than once. You know, what's the purpose? What, what's sort of the, the target then? The target for Inception is not Fisher. It's Cobb. Someone's trying to incept something into his mind. No? I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. The people that are doing that job is his father-in-law slash mentor, the uh, ambitious student, Ariande. I think her name was, and his other yeah. friends, mm-hmm. and his other friends played by Tom Hardy, the other guy. I forgot his name. Ken Watanabe. Right, right. That was a dude from yesterday, right? Yeah, yes. I, was, I, I, was so. like, I know, I know. I'd seen him in another role where he's the lead, anyways. Mm-hmm. So, if we assume Cobb's reality is actually a dream, then that team is trying to target Inception on him, and and that. His rea- what he thinks his reality is actually the first level of the dream, right? And I, we were given the exposition, I wouldn't know if I'd call it exposition, but rather an element from Tom Hardy's character when, he's dis- when they're sort of like brainstorming about what they're doing. He's saying how each level of the dream has to have a purpose, has to solidify an idea, right? I, I forget what the first one and the second one were, but it, it was basically the end point it was supposed to result in Fisher wanting to be his own man, wanting and not wanting to be his father, right? 
and it had to lead into it had to have multiple layers of points or or a purpose of, of each layer so if we take that idea and turn it on to Cobb's dream the first level suggests that or convinces Cobb there is a way to go home right mm-hmm. like when Saito was saying I can get you home I all I have to do is you know make one phone call and you can get through customs and you'll be able to go home and all of a sudden Cobb Cobb, believe, Cobb believed him they sort of fed him the idea and he believes he fed it himself and the job of incepting fisher was only a way for them to dive deeper into Cobb's subconscious right mm-hmm. so they sort of tethered along Cobb into believing that there's this job that they need to do and get into fisher's mind when when really they they just need to go deeper and deeper into Cobb's mind so that they could place an idea for the root of it all and the second level of the dream, which he thinks would be the first level of Fisher's dream, or whoever was actually dreaming, because Fisher was just a subject and not the dreamer. The second level was, you really see uh, when Ariane was speaking to Cobb right after they interrogate Fisher, and she was telling him that you need to confront Maul, we need to go deeper, and sort of, it was telling him that Maul is the center of his unresolved grief, sort of, you know, and that he needs to confront it in order to succeed the the rest of the mission, right? So he believed, so he was convinced that in order to go forward, we need to go deeper and I need to confront Maul, you know, and that him confronting Maul was going to be the achievement of emotional catharsis that Fisher gets with his father and the little, I forget what those things, the little fan toy things are called, right? Mm-hmm. He finds that in the safe. That's his emotional catharsis. And Cobb's emotional catharsis was in that state of limbo when he uh, reveals to us that he incepted a false sense of reality into Maul's mind. So it, it was kind of crazy. Right? Can I it, just say that? It's kind of, it's kind of, I think like it now comes to me in this week of viewing it, like, like that's what he was, Christopher Nolan was maybe trying to push us towards to think about, you know, by having that little, little uncertain ending, you know, and make us question whether Cobber is or is not dreaming. It doesn't really matter if he is or isn't. What mattered was what it made us think about and if we're you know on a, on a surface level generally speaking because it's not all on the surface we think fisher is the target for the inception right and we're giving all these elements on how the inception is supposed to work right so they're laying the grounds for us and we see it achieve its success and whatnot and then we can look back use those same points and just put it on to Cobb's story on how Cobb was really the guy that this team was planting an idea in his mind. And that idea was confronting his guilt and reconciling with his grief with Maul and that he needed to let her go because I forgot what her name was. She, Is that she the Elliot Page character? Yeah. or It was. Okay. Continue to talk. I'm looking it up for you. So she was uh, the character. Her character was basically revealed to us, the audience, that 
you know, by confronting Cobb when she said, you're letting her live or you can't something along those lines where he can't let her go. And he's trying to trying to keep her alive, keep the idea of her alive because of that. Or we're able to, to conclude that that was the reason uh, why he was sort of was dysfunctional. You know why he couldn't you know why he couldn't be the architect was because of Maul, mm-hmm. you know, and why he possibly if we are to assume that his reality was a dream and not reality, that's why he couldn't come out of it as well. So, you know, this team had to come into his dream to convince him that he could come out of it, mm-hmm. but he had to confront something in order to do that. And that's when Elliot's page character that's when she comes in, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she was the only one in the movie that really understood, to, uh, from our perspective, she was the only one that understood what Maul was doing to Cobb and how their relationship was sort of distorted. And, you know, because the real tragedy of the relationship was that they didn't share the same reality. You know, in, in Maul's reality in Limbo, Cobb didn't believe it was real and vice versa. Once they got out of that reality and they went to Cobb's reality, Maul didn't believe that it was real. But she couldn't obviously just kill herself without him. She couldn't do it on her own. She wanted to do it with him. She wanted to be there a way where they both left together. But but Cobb believed he was in reality and not in a dream. So that that concept is also mirrored when Saito enters Limbo, because in that case, you know, which was actually the, the first shot of the film, was when Saito, as an old man, saying he recognized Cobb from a uh, half-remembered dream, and he had spent decades in Limbo making his own reality, and basically couldn't get away from that, and Cobb came down to save him and Cobb actually convinced Saito what he couldn't convince Maul and it it was sort of like a nice full circle for for Cobb you know because he had gone through everything he had gone through with Maul he couldn't convince her to get out of limbo so he had to you know in a sense lie to her and spin her totem in the safe to make her believe that her reality wasn't real but unbeknownst to him you know, that idea would be deeply rooted into her mind. So, you know, instead of incepting something into Saito's mind, he just like, he's just, it, it was just weird seeing him like call back to their, to their other conversations. It's talking about it now. It's like this film is almost like the perfect Christopher Nolan film. I can imagine like he enjoyed making this, but he also enjoys like just watching films like this. And he's he's almost like telling the audience, like, look more into movies. Like, there's more into movies that than just like what oh you get God. on the screen. Exactly. And that's that's why you have you see so much like him talking in like like in the media, like talking about how the theater experience is such like a crucial thing to uh, crucial thing to him, is because he enjoys just like just going in and just sitting in the dark and just taking it all in instead of just like, oh yeah, I saw it and, and uh, time to move on to the next thing. This, like, if you dive yourself into each character, like keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into like 
the story and the world, it's like you'll f- keep finding something new. And right, and every every Nolan film just like asks the viewer a question that that is beyond the plot and beyond the story of the film you just watched, right? Mm-hmm. And I know I've said this before, but that's just what I love about films. The films that do that and that can pull that off. Because it's not just about what you see on the screen. Mm-hmm. And, and in this case, it's like if our reality is dictated by the mind, that means there are constructing forces beyond our conscious presence, right? Mm-hmm. Our mind contains subconscious layers. So the question we ask ourselves or or inception sort of recognizes ourselves as emotional beings it it serves to articulate directly what we experience indirectly what happens in our subconscious it sort of makes us aware of something that we take for granted you know our our what we take for granted our perception our belief you know and our convictions that we have in our mind that we don't ever really think about what have we been incepted with what are the ideas that are tormenting us in our minds you know what are the moments that flipped our lives on our on its head or the convictions that are locked deep in our subconscious that we never open up that it's just there you know what are the roots of it you know who's impacted our lives that has shaped our us and and as a result our identity and these sort of things and i love that because you know I, I don't know if um a lot of people it's, it's sort of overlooked that sort of philosophy of identity you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think what the, like the most important thing that christopher nolan is just trying to get the audience to understand with this film is that the subconscious, like all our lives is subconscious for a reason. Like it's something that we hide deep, deep inside us. But like the most interesting things is like when you pull that subconscious up into being conscious and you're seeing everything that your mind is, uh, your mind is seeing right now. So it's like, if that makes sense, like yeah. it's, it, yeah. I find that just incredibly powerful. And just, I know you said earlier, it's like, we were just gushing about every single movie, but it's really hard not to like gush about right. Christopher Nolan just because it, it's like he has such a a wide perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And you know, to me, this movie is about acknowledging that our consciousness is greater than our rational mind. You know, things that that we find logic or in rationale, you know, really sort of is below our conscious. And that uh, our logically ordered aggregate of thoughts, beliefs, memories, you know, we all experience the world subjectively. We all struggle to determine what is real about the world and the people around us and more so about ourselves. And uh, amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I I am taking a lot of this from a video essay that I watched online and no shame because I I think there's nothing wrong in having someone else explain something to you and then using that as inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Like what I do is like when I watch like watch a movie is I always watch the movie first and then I read reviews and read analysis and just kind of be like 
see if I align in within that mm-hmm. same category. And sometimes I'm like asking my questions like during a video or like when I'm reading like an article and just but oh I didn't really consider that. But then some but then I'm like considering it now because I'm like reading it and consuming this information. But so there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's mm-hmm. like and I feel like Inception is one of those movies that you definitely yeah. have to kind like, of <laughs> want to, yeah. And that's what it encourages too, because it encourages like podcasts like this too. That encourages people to discuss it because there's multiple yeah. interpretations to and, have to 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 show the importance of togetherness, mm-hmm. right? And have and to have others affirm our reality. Mm-hmm. In this that's, case, our reality is our discussion. That's what I love about movies in general i love it when movies just movies like this are just timeless and you can just you can revisit them every year and just find something new and find something new new to talk about and it's like this is like i i may have gotten lukewarm on it a little bit but that's just because it's like inception uh, that more movies have come out since then and when watching this sort of picking it apart in a way but i i don't know it was it, it's kind of hard to describe yeah, I don't know. What I really loved too about this about this film is just some of the, just the lines of dialogue too. I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character Arthur when they first incept Killian Murphy's right. like character, and he like that's when Killian Murphy's like character is like subconscious is fighting back, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt just says his subconscious is weaponized, and I'm like, oh my god! I remember sitting in a theater. And hearing that line, I'm like, that is so cool. <laughs> it's a, such a cool way to like describe like what's going on. It's like, I don't know. I just I love that line so much. I loved the dialogue that Cobb had with Saito. Mm-hmm. The sort of uh, I want to live in regret waiting to die alone and how they, they call back to their conversations multiple times throughout the film. It really cements an idea, sort of, to me, it cements what Cobb really wants and what Nolan is trying to show us the real victory was. It's not just Cobb getting to his family, you know, that's not the only achievement. I think the real victory is that the team being in a mutual reality, you know, and that's the collective victory, you know, why we may never objectively know the reality beyond our perception we can find security in sharing our subjective worlds and the mutual agreement of what is real and in that moment at the end when they all wake up from the dream when they're in the plane when they're all looking at each other and they they walk through customs and they sort of like have the silent nods of acknowledgement that's the most powerful catharsis in the entire film credible journey through ontological uncertainty and and a chaotic labyrinth of subconscious and and at the end they all came out together and they all and even killian murphy you know he he didn't really nod at Cobb, but you could see him like i that dude was in my dreams and he sort of kind of gave him an an, a subconscious acknowledgement you know what i mean yeah but isn't that how dreams work Right. You, you have like these elaborate dreams and you, you wake up from it and it's like, well, I guess it's time to go to work or time to like eat breakfast. You, but you have this just... acknowledgement where you where you nod your head towards the fact 
at or towards the the idea of that dream you know what i mean and and like whether it be a good or a bad dream most of the time it's going to be a cathartic experience and you know i just think i'm i'm a pretty big dreamer literally and metaphorically you know like i dream a lot about who i can be and like the jobs i can have or the person i can become and not to mention my actual dreams are like incredibly clear nowadays especially i think even even when this movie came out i i like had crazy ass dreams i never knew what to think about and this film sort of pokes me in a direction how i how i can like my subconscious is a language in its own you know and how it's not like it's trying to speak to me in my dreams but i can learn something about my subconscious after i dream yeah and I, wake up and like last night i had a i had a dream i was back in high school and it was like there was a high school dance going on and we like had to find dance partners or else we were gonna be like you know you didn't want to be that guy sitting like with his back on the wall and his hands in his pockets while everyone else dancing with a partner and and i found out i was that guy i was (laughs) just saying i couldn't continue (laughs) i found someone but like it was so weird in the middle of the dream like I was like trying to find a girl that would accept me too. And I eventually quote unquote settled for somebody in the dream, you know, that was like, okay, I guess I'll dance with this girl because she's the only one left, which is kind of a fucked up way to see it. Right. And and at the end of it, I didn't even get to dance with her. Like the dance, like the music was just starting and everyone was like finding their dance partner and all of a sudden, I see the girl that accepted my dance with another guy. She totally brushed me off and, you know, left me out to dry and went dance with the other guy. And all of a sudden, I'm the dude with my back on the wall and the hands in my pockets. And, mm-hmm. and when you know, I don't know how much that's trying to say, but maybe I can gather something from it. Like, probably my subconscious in the dream was had some false sense of desire you know and uh not wanting Aaron I was like associating people not desiring me with feeling of loneliness you know and me being alone was a result of me being rejected you know I mean I'm sure that's a common thing along Mm -hmm. with a lot of people but I, I think that the reason why in my dream I didn't get to dance with that girl is because I didn't have the right uh, frame of mind. I didn't go in. It. I was just like wanted to quote unquote settle. And, and I took this girl's hand just because she was there kind of a thing. And that's probably not a good way to think about relationships in desire. Right. Like I don't really dream that much like anymore. Like I feel like I do have like this one re- recurring dream where I'm just driving constantly. Uh, Like, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just driving, like, down this road. And it's it's super weird, because I wake up, and it's like, I thought I I went somewhere. But I'm just like, I don't know. I I know that's kind of like a basic one compared to your dream that's like, like, has so much depth to it. It's just... Maybe maybe that has something to I say. Mean, that's like I'm, I'm just a, I just have surface level dreams. When you bring depth to it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could you could supply the depth yourself for your own dreams. At the end of the day, it, you don't really control the depth of it. It's your subconscious, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes dreams don't really mean anything Mm -hmm. if you think of it that way. You know, I know I've, I've definitely had this conversation with a few other people like, what do your dreams mean? What do you think your dreams mean? And people just think it's random, random shit that your subconscious is throwing at you. It doesn't mean anything at all. And or that your dreams are reflecting your day to day life. Right. Mm-hmm. And to to a certain extent, I do believe that I don't believe that it, it's random. I do believe that. it. I mean, it is random, but to I'm a shaking certain, my head. No, right now. I know. I totally I totally agree with you but to, because to a certain point, it is your subconscious speaking to you about your feelings. But, and, you know, it's not straight up giving you facts, but it is giving you scenarios in which you can inspire ideas from and these ideas can can shape you or they could tear you down mm-hmm. you know like and, in the movie inception it, it did one thing to maul you know and it did an entirely different thing to fisher mm-hmm. and i think this goes completely full circle to what we we're talking about earlier is that like you when you're saying that like a lot of people think that dreams are just random pictures that your brain is just or your subconscious is just pulling out of nowhere but those those, i couldn't see those people as just watching a movie on a surface level Mm. they're just like oh yeah it's like that was a cool movie i'm just time to time to move on right as compared to your dream you're so vivid in your description and just describing like this dream you saw more you want to find the answers you're asking questions it's like i wanted to know why why, why my subconscious was giving me that scenario in it potentially because I feel a certain way at this point. I feel really lonely or, you know, to be really personal, I've had a lot of dreams with my family being in it, you know, and I'm like reliving memories and, you know, I'm willing to open myself and be vulnerable about it. You know, I have I have some turmoil within the within my family at the moment. Some of my dreams sort of are telling me that, you know, and it's sort of like reflecting on that feeling of possibly guilt or separation that I have with certain members of my family. So I wake yeah. up and I'm like, well, damn, you know, I want to get away with, uh, from it, but, but getting away from it is probably, is not facing certain things that uh, are impacting your day to day, your, not just your day to day life, but your, your, your whole identity in your being inside you, you know, and if you, if you decide to face it, you know, I mean, it's not like you can overcome it, but maybe you probably could, but it's just a matter of acknowledging it, I think, actually. Yeah. I think like the thing that I could pull from, <laughs> uh, yeah. from, from uh, like my dreams of just like constantly moving forward is just like, it's just my subconscious like telling me that no matter how many obstacles like come your way, like just keep moving forward and just like the image of just driving too is like also don't be afraid to break out of your comfort comfort zone too of just driving uh, going to new places, seeing new people, like just because like you're driving, you drive for your job doesn't mean that it's like uh, that like that's a bad thing. You can see, you can discover like. Have, have new adventures like that way but but yeah dreams are weird kind of can we just say that yeah. <laughs> Dream, dreams like, are weird 
yeah I, like if you're having dreams i feel like it's important to to dive deep girl. if you aren't someone or you want to be someone that remembers their dream more the minute you wake up and it, it just write down anything you can remember about that dream mm-hmm. and try to try to find some key part of that dream like a, a location a person a feeling you know uh, or or anything and just write it down because i i started doing that late high school and early college and after i did that holy crap are my dreams so much more clear and easy to remember mm-hmm. because i can find that one thing to latch on to because i was at a high school dance like last night and i clearly remember the bleachers being folded up and, and basically being the wall that I had my back on, right? All I had to do was just remember that one feeling or that one object and the rest of the dream just came into me, you know? I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that fucking Catherine, just, you know, or I forgot her name. It was like, I don't know. She, like, we were about to dance. I'm like, all right, where is this girl? And all of a sudden she comes out with another dude in her arms. And I was like, fuck. You know, just thinking to myself, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's really great that you write stuff down just because I guess that that would make you like the cop character because you're like what like the most important thing about like Cobb was that like, like he could create worlds and like create worlds out of your subconscious. And like dreams are obviously, like I said, are like images of your subconscious. But like when you wake up, like, you're not aware of that but since you're writing it down you're building that world and yeah. you're what you're you wanting to go back to it i haven't because... been writing them down lately mm-hmm. but i'm sure if i did more i could i could definitely catch myself in a dream and be a lucid dreamer mm-hmm. and, and, and there are cases where i catch myself in a dream but usually it's like a bad dream where i'm running away from something and I'm like all right now i'll start flying because I know I'm in a dream. I can just get the fuck out of here. I don't, what am I doing on my feet? I need to be in the air. Right. I'm and dreaming. I can do whatever I want. I'm in the air. But even even like times when I, I figure out I'm in a dream, I can't always, you know, it, it's usually like, yeah, I'm trying to get away from something. So like when like a big fucking spider or, or some crazy monster or I legit had a dream of this. There was a fucking big a spider spider and he was on my chest he was just like sucked to my to the chest and it freaked me the fuck out and i yelled myself awake that morning i remember that. oh wow That's... but there are, there are other times where like it isn't as creepy but i am trying to get away from something and i'm like wait a minute like this isn't something clicks in my head and I'm like this isn't real this isn't you know real this isn't something that happens in reality so i must be dreaming Instead of like dreaming of this incredible utopia or beaches or fun, something fun, I'm just like, all right, I need to get out of here even quicker, or I need to like pull out a grenade launcher and shoot it in the fucking face, <laughs> and then I wake up. Usually, right? It's it's like your it's subconscious is like that you're catching on. It's like okay, I better go away now, right? Or it's like the or it's not like it's trying to go away. Or yeah, the dream goes away. Yeah, I wake up, mm-hmm. but like. Mm-hmm. The more and more I figure out it's a dream, it's like the projections are running at me and trying to grab me and trying to stop me from it becoming lucid and me controlling the dream, you know, like in the movie. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. when they see the world when they see the world around them being altered they try to find the dreamer and they just tear them apart yeah it's <laughs> like i said more. dreams are weird uh inception is oh my god <laughs> it's so uh yeah there's so much depth to it yeah yeah i don't know i kind of don't really want to talk about dark knight rising because <laughs> it's, it's, oh, like, it's so surface level it's well, like <laughs> well i mean that's it, how it can appear you know inception at even at surface level appears to be very deep only because we allow it to you know i'm mm-hmm. sure there are a lot of people who don't care to speak about these deep philosophical things they just want to talk about the elements of the plot in the story you know which is nothing wrong with or anything but alternatively we could take something like dark knight rises or dark knight and look into it deeper what nolan is trying to express via his characters before we started recording like i was thinking about inception a lot about like a lot and uh i started thinking about dark knight rises next I don't remember seeing it. Really? Like, do you remember seeing it? Yeah, like, like in the in the theater. You mean in the theater or in general? Because I can't remember seeing in the theaters or like. To me, home. I'm sure it's <laughs> different. I don't know why. Because I think I remember. I I do remember saying how I rem- I when we were talking about Dark Knight, how I remembered Dark Knight Rises a little bit more. I'm not sure how much truth there is to that, but I think what I was trying to say was maybe I remember Dark Knight Rises a little bit m- more clearer because it's it caps off a trilogy. Mm-hmm. I can't you can't forget about that sort of uh, film that does that that achieves that. If that's a decent answer, I think I like I know I said I, I was lukewarm on Inception. And I have more critiques. I think, and you said it on the last on the last episode, last time we recorded, was that Dark Knight has like this audio issue, especially when you're watching it at home. And I found that really apparent during an Inception. Really, and I found myself turning the volume up, turning it down, mm-hmm. I can and see just that. like the sound mixing was just it just felt off, and just like and yeah, I feel like ever since Dark Knight. All of Christopher Nolan's movies have this yes. issue. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's I not... don't know if that's an issue of them being on IMAX and then IMAX going to vid- straight to straight to video. Like there's obviously like yep. issues there, but it's, it's really frustrating like watching a Nolan film now just because it's, you know, I, I never thought about that too when I was watching this movie and I compared it to my last viewing of Dark Knight. I watched Dark Knight on a mono setting over my mm-hmm. TV's audio, right? Yeah. And it was later at night, so I kind of had to be conscious of how much noise it made around the house. And also, this big scene comes along. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want my, I don't want to like wake my roommates or anything. I turn it down, and then all of a sudden, I can't hear the dialogue in the next scene, so I turn it back up. In this case, when I was watching Inception, I was listening it, it through my stereo headphones. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, my audio interface, and I didn't have any issues with the volume. Put it, I set it at one level, and it just did the rest of the work for me. So maybe there is something to say there how it's really built for a surround sound setting, mm-hmm. you know, or should I say the theater experience? Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, which is why no one is like this huge 
supporter of of this medium just because it's like like his movies sound the best they look the best like on the big screen mm-hmm. and it's like if i'm nolan and i've created like these brilliant films of like of art i want people to see my movie the way it was intended and he intended them to be seen on the big screen which is with stereo i guess we, I guess we could, could kind of segue into did, did i send you that you article? did I, I did read it yeah nolan saying that hbo max is the worst streaming service ever which mm. but this is coming off of warner brothers saying that they're just going to release all of the 2020 21 movies and the rest of was it the rest of their slate on hbo max or yeah yeah. For like a week, they'll have it on HBO Max for past the paywall, you know, for like a week or something like that. And then they'll take it off and it'll still continue its theatrical release. But Nolan, why did Nolan express he didn't like it? Wasn't it because that he feels like it, it limits it limits a film's reach or something like that? Do you remember? I think he felt this way and then filmmakers and studios kind of uh, filmmakers in general kind of felt this way is that they kind of felt blindsided by it. They didn't really expect uh, like like this announcement to like to, to even happen. Like they're they're kind of glad that their movies are being shown, but it's like they're but how many people are on HBO Max? Yeah, exactly. HBO Max is like and uh, and this is kind of a why just HBO Max? Why not other streaming surfaces? Maybe is this sort of a cash grab for hbo yeah 100%, well, I, 100% is 100 I, I feel like this is kind of we're already deep into this like uh into this problem but th- we're going to be starting to see this where movies only release on hbo max and like disney like you're like even with disney it's like you only you can only see the mandalorian on disney plus right like why not just branch out and put it on apple tv it's like it's such a crazy messed up world we're living in where i gotta subscribe to like everything in order to like get like all the best movies and stuff like that it's mm. it, i don't know it's uh or it could be um a scoundrel like myself yeah and just uh be a, a sea of thieves yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh i don't want to push know. my luck because i i don't want to and you know i have said i haven't gotten caught before but you know I mean, no cares. it's not, it's, yeah, it's not, no one cares. it's not yours until you turn it in. That's right. what my favorite Sea of Thieves streamer said. This is how I got around like pirating and how I felt good about taking someone's content, especially with movies, because I buy every single movie that I have, but I usually buy the movie and then I torrent it just so I can have it digitally because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but like the Blu-ray digital copy or whatever it's called, whatever I think it's like ultraviolet. It's hor- it's like a horrible system. I'm just uh, taking a different path as a digital copy. I'm just going straight to the source and just torrenting it that way. But a lot of people don't see it that way. I don't know. Some people still so like I I bought the movie. I'm just getting it a different way. Alternatively, yeah. there's no like people. Someone will claim how there's. X amount of dollars lost because of because of torrenters, but there was never going to be. You never had that money. You never lost any money just because there's potential revenue. And alternatively, someone who's torrenting a film is likely not to pay for it, even if they can't torrent it. Right. Right. 
if I wanted if I wanted to purchase a film or if I liked a film enough to purchase it, I would go out and purchase it, which I've done in the past with with some Tarantino films in particular, you know? Yeah, I think like when I purchase a film now, like like back in the day, like when I was in high school, I was like I was like buying every movie that I see. I'm like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to rewatch this. But now I'm just a little bit more selective. Like if I really like this film, like Inception, I obviously own. Uh, Like I have to hold something personal to it. Like it's like it's not just a movie like, oh, yeah, that was cool. And then just have it sit on the shelf. Like, I don't know. I just I need to have the shelf space for uh, for like all for all those movies because I can't own every single movie anymore. But back to like Christopher Nolan, like I see what he's saying is that like, especially like with when I was complaining about the audio in Inception, you said about the Dark Knight is that not everyone has like a good audio setup or good streaming setup. And HBO Max is like, is a mobile app and you can watch it on your phone and he potentially sees people doing that. Like tenant tenants going to release on HBO max on Christmas day. So there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people watching tenant for the first time on an iPhone 12, which is, which <laughs> is, know. we'll see about how many actually watch on their phone, but I, I, yeah, yeah, I can, well, it's a possibility. I know like, it, it, it definitely will happen. Yeah. It's, uh, it won't be me because I can't watch anything on my phone except for like a YouTube video longer than no longer than five minutes. But I don't know. I can see why he's why he's worried about that. And on your lap. Hmm? Does your phone start to heat up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't really play Among Us anymore because of my phone. Yeah. I, well, I've been playing Among Us on, on my on my laptop. But. Jealous. Anyways, continue. I didn't want to. I didn't mean to distract. Oh, it's it's fine. I was. What was I going to say? <laughs> yeah, it was about um, I, I can see why he wants to restore like the theatrical like experience. And I think you said this on earlier episodes is that this year has just been completely messed up in general. But and I don't think theaters are going to survive like this year. But I totally agree with you saying that theaters are going to be more of a niche like uh, you'll you'll see maybe you'll have like a christopher nolan theater or something like that he's gonna buy out a theater and like this is like a theater where he just shows his films and then I films you mentioned that. i think you mentioned like, that actually i did i i or, remember what you're saying how or maybe i did i can't remember i maybe i suggested how yeah yeah I, I think i do remember saying how what if studios had their own theaters mm-hmm. not just directors but like a warner brothers movie theater or, or a disney paramount theater or a disney theater disney makes more sense or they only especially. make disney movies they only make warner brothers movies they only make 20th century fox movies they only play those movies i mean that would yeah. be interesting yeah i don't, I I don't think see that happening but maybe something along those lines i think i see it this is a more realistic way of it could happen is that disney buys amc and bails them out Hmm. And then AMC will only play Disney movies. I don't see like or a majority Disney... of their films are Disney films. Yeah, like I get we both worked in a theater. It already we... happens when it. Yeah, we new we release. both worked yeah. in theaters before and didn't. Uh, I think Do you remember the Hateful Eight and the the whole Star Wars dilemma. Mm-hmm. 
how yeah. he specifically wanted that on, on a certain style of film to be played for the first two weeks. But then it was like what Star Wars, the first Star Wars Force Awakens came out. Mm-hmm. And it's just like Disney is like, well, you got to play our shit on the new shit or on the on the big auditoriums first for the first two weeks or you're not getting our film. So they there was this one famous theater down in L.A. that pulled Hateful Eight to put in Force Awakens and it pissed off Quentin. That's crazy. And I, I like I remember like our old uh, our old manager, like at the theater in Sonora, like he would constantly say that Disney it was like the first it was Avengers 2 Avengers 2 Age of Ultron mm-hmm. and Disney wanted like 90% of the ticket sales and like like box office and and uh studios they studios and theaters constantly fight over like box right. office like Images. numbers and like profit and Disney is like the one that's always wanting More. like all of the cut and theater yeah. theater owners and managers are just like uh hell no so- like we're we're showing your film, so get used to it. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, actually, yeah, the studios got a majority of the ticket sales, 95 to 99, if not 100. Mm-hmm. And after the movie plays in a theater for over two weeks, every week, the theater will get an added cut. Maybe like 5%, for example, every week the, the, the movie stayed in the auditorium uh, or in the theater, theater would get an additional 5% of ticket revenue every week. And that, that is definitely a thing. And it is also a thing that Disney stops that from happening. <laughs> they make deals and they say, hey, we're going to play this movie here for X amount of weeks and you're not going to take any additional ticket revenue. Um, and this is a, a special circumstance for Disney only because Disney has so much power and they can just they can just threaten a theater and say, well, we'll pull the movie and you won't have it. And then you're going to lose out on, you know, how little how much little ticket revenue you get from this movie. But it's more about the concessions revenue and selling out an auditorium. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's it. That mentality is a, it's such it's so dangerous now because Disney practically owns every studio. Like the 20th Century Fox, Star Wars, and just like Lucasfilm, I mean, and then and and then Marvel. Like it's so, like that's basically every movie that comes out this summer is one of those. It's it's by one of those studios. It's 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 so crazy. I remember hearing a lot about that when I started working in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm sure things have changed or to better the monopolies, you know. And I just remember hearing about movies like leaving our theater and then coming back and just how like they wanted more ticket revenue percentages or just how theaters and studios actually have to negotiate over every movie that comes into their theater. You know, there's not like a like a a strict set of defined rules. So it definitely allows big studios to manipulate Mm -hmm. i feel like if disney owned like a theater theater company like they won't have to negotiate anymore because they'll just take everything so it's like why why i don't know it's just like why doesn't that happen why hasn't it happened i don't know because there's probably a reason to that but like uh and going back to christopher nolan too like i can totally see like christopher nolan like buying a theater and just be like 
it would be like one theater in like Texas or something like that. And people, even like if a pandemic is over, I think people would still go to that theater knowing it's Christopher Nolan. Like I know I would. Would you? <laughs> like if he had a if he had a private, privately owned theater to himself in like mm-hmm. California, a hundred percent. Yeah, because I know that if he is intimately related with the operations, then he's curating it for what he believes to be the best movie going experience. That's what I would choose to believe. I'm sure there might be people that own theaters that don't care about the movie going experience as much, perhaps more about, you know, making money or some other element. But uh, yeah, I, I confidently believe that. Nolan is about that. <laughs> yeah, for and sure. Tarantino as well. Yeah, I, I remember like working at Regal. I I would always like complain about like the projection lighting, how it wasn't bright enough, and everyone would just look at me and just like, "What are you talking about?" Like, it, like it's fine. I'm like, I don't I don't know if you remember like the Snore Theater like that much like now, but like there there was moments where, uh, I, well, you I think you actually told me like. Like the theater off to the left, like towards the back was always the brightest because it was like the smaller theater. And like, that's where you put like kind of like the independent movies and no one saw. Mm. But like theater one, this is totally this is not going to be relevant to people listening. But theater one, like the biggest one is where you you showed like the blockbusters. Yeah. So films, the bulbs would be worn out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That probably wasn't me, but I I definitely 100% agree that you want to watch the movie in a small auditorium, not not in a big one. I mean, it's nice to to be able to get tickets for a big movie on day one, and you're going to watch it with a huge crowd like Endgame. Watch yeah. that with a big crowd. Watch, watch Star Wars with a big crowd. You know, any Christopher Nolan movie, watch in a small auditorium. Mm-hmm. It's more intimate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to watch it with a lot of people. And and if you're like that, you know, but well, don't really have the (laughs) it doesn't have quote unquote fan service and fans cheering in the middle of the film. You know what I mean? On a regular. Yeah, it's the end game. Oh, my gosh. That's the most fun I've ever had in an auditorium. Seeing seeing a movie was watching Avengers Endgame. And I watched it three times on opening day. No, yeah. I got hardly any sleep. <laughs> I don't remember like Endgame's midnight premiere or just I I think I actually saw that film alone in a movie theater, which it, it kind of goes against like how you saw it. Well, because that, that, that's a way to enjoy it, too. Yeah, because I was the never, older I get, the yeah. older I get, I just appreciate going to a movie theater by myself and sitting in the front row. And just taking in everything just because like, <laughs> this is one thing that I've heard a lot of people talking about, like on some of the podcasts that I listen to is that like they'll miss movie theaters. But the the, the one thing that I won't miss is just it is the, the assholes just because yeah. there's well, there's they're everywhere. Yeah, I know. But like in the in the theater, like they especially like come out and just annoy me and just yeah. like that. The snores, the the phone the callers, uh, people, yeah, people that fall asleep in a theater and start snoring. You never had you that. Had that happen to you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you watch any movie with my dad, he'll you'll oh, okay. know, know what a movie snore 
Shots life. fired. we we watched the world's end together on a midnight uh, showing and uh, i feel so bad because i mean he works all day out in the hot sun with full clothes on you know he's not going to be able to stay up uh, because he's working his ass off but i wanted to take him to world's end because i wasn't 17 yet that's that simon Pegg one right yeah Yep, okay. it was uh, the final one of their trilogy. And there were only a couple other people in the auditorium. One of them was a coker, uh, but uh, he started to fall asleep in the first 15 minutes. And he started snoring, so I had to, like, smack him <laughs> on the chest and be like, Dad, you're snoring! And, like, other people were laughing. But uh, I, in Berkeley, you you get a lot of, um, I don't want to say stragglers, but people that come in and out just for the sake of being in a warm room. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. not just homeless people. They're just people that want to get away for whatever reason. And they'll they'll fall asleep and they'll start snoring, you know, like, and it's annoying as shit. Your manager just allows that just to walk in. and. Well, I mean, you buy a ticket. Oh, OK. Not that not just walk in for free, but people that have come into the movie theater with the mentality that they just want to get away. No, you know I, what I mean? actually, or, or they just want to be somewhere where they could sit down for two hours, you know, and yeah, not have and to kill time. Yeah, and kill time. Exactly. Yeah. There was this one dude that would always come in and he would always sneak in some 40s of, of Coors Light or whatever. He would chug them both and he'd, he'd be done. You know, every time we clean the theater, we have to wake the dude up. <laughs> oh, my God. He wasn't was a snorer, though. He was just somebody who got drunk. Shit. Would you say he was homeless or was just no, like no. some dude that was trying to get away? Dude from that worked two life. days, two or you no. know, or two jobs a day, and he was just trying to get away uh, from from his life, whatever he had going on. Right. And you know, beyond beyond me, he was kind of uh, he was a regular, but he was kind of one of those guys that you just uh, don't want to make upset, you know. And I don't judge him or anything, but you know, he's. He's got other worldly things going on in his mind, and it's not up to me to to, to question him coming to the theater, you know? Right. And uh, like he, he would watch whatever. It didn't matter to him. Sometimes he would just say, hey, just give me a ticket to a movie. I don't, I don't care what you give me. That sort like, of thing. I, I sometimes, like, like as, well, especially now, like, I make that decision, like, when I encounter, like, strangers that just want to strike up a conversation, and they start talking about stuff that is questionable and stuff I don't agree with, I usually just listen and just kind of nod my head appropriately and uh, approvingly, and then I just don't necessarily respond, and I, like, I kind of make it aware that I'm not interested conversing with you, but I'm here to listen and here to give you your platform, but don't like I'm not gonna agree with you like just ju- like just today like I mean, with this new job ju- like just today we had uh, like my new job requires me to like take lifts to like cars and like rebound and uh relocate them right like, I got this one like lift driver I'm pretty sure he was QAnon and and he was like going into like oh the like who who'd you vote for did you did the vote uh. person you voted for won and uh, he started talking about Donald Trump, like being on The Simpsons, how he wore red, white, and blue, and just like obviously, like I turned out, tuned out the conversation because I knew where this was going, and it was such like an uncomfortable like lift ride, like 
I, I was this, this is the one thing I like about Lyft is that you can just kind of just keep your mouth shut and just like not say anything and just kind of just let him talk. Let him have his moment. I want to write this over. I can just as a Lyft driver. Would you rather have people in the passenger seat or in the back seat? Oh, I sit in the back all the time. The, the, were you when a I driver sit, and when you were a driver? Oh, uh, sit in the back like that. Like, is it weird when someone just you're 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 picking pre-COVID, obviously, when you're you when you you have someone to pick up, you pick up the person, he goes straight for the passenger door, and he sits in your passenger seat. Is that like like the front seat? You mean? Yeah. Is that weird or is it like you know it is what it is? I think because that's all what, that's uh, all all the time. I would always pick the front seat. Really? Yeah. Like I think when Lyft first started and they were a company, kind of founded on they were like they were different than Uber, mm-hmm. and they they their like their whole motto was like conversational, less drivers and like drivers were friendly and like and willing to talk to like, and willing to talk to the passenger and get them through like a hard day or just like tell a joke. But now Lyft and Uber are like basically the same company now. And you have drivers kind of driving for both. It kind of breaks that whole like system that they were, that they were founded on or like the service that they're trying to provide, which is, is a little disappointing, but I don't know. So does that answer my question though? It, like, As a driver, did it make you weird? Did it make you feel weird if someone just went? If you just like picked up, picked me up, you didn't know who I was, and I went straight for the passenger door. Yeah, it made would, me feel weird. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was just I don't know. It's just like damn. Get, get in the back I wonder, seat. I wonder how many people I made feel awkward. Well, you you pick the front seat every, every time, time. Every time it, it makes me feel safer. Really? You know, uh, I, I, well, it's not safer, but it's sort of like a mentality thing. I want to be in the front seat. I want to see what this driver is doing at all times. I don't want to feel like I'm peering over his shoulder, and I want to see the road. I don't want to see a door or I want to see some, a chair in front of me. I mean, I want to see where we're going. You no, know? I thought you make a really good point. And, and going and, back, and to... it makes me feel less paranoid, but it also puts the it puts the weight on his shoulders. It lets him know that. Whatever is going to happen to this fr- in this front seat, you know, it's not just going to happen to you this time. It's going to happen to your passenger. Mm-hmm. So it sort of reaffirms my security with the driver. That's that's a good point. And like going back to like the Lyft driver that was queuing on Trump, Trump supporter, like he kept uh, I was sitting in the back seat and I was like right behind him and he kept reaching for like the front passenger seat for something. And in my mind, like I was constantly going through like possible scenarios, like oh, it's a gun, he's oh. gonna shoot me, me in the face, and just like I was just and I I remember like going through like a scenario if that was the case, where we're on the freeway going to the destination, and I was just like, he's not driving very fast, he's going like fifty five. If I were to jump out of the car, I wonder if the, I would be able to survive the injuries, and I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be a, a, ve- a vegetable for the rest of my life. And I'm just like, you'd probably, you'd probably be pretty scraped up and, and yeah. probably a couple, maybe a broken bone. Well, know, if I yeah. jumped out the side of the freeway where there was no cars coming in the other direction, you just rolled and just like yeah. just tucked your hands in your face and re-rolled, right. you know, to take the momentum. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. You probably, 
fracture something, right? Right. Yeah. But uh, would it be worth it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, no, because I didn't do it. It's I'm only worth that. it if you know you're in like some fucking gang mafia shit. And you know, I can't, I can't be in here. I'm scared for my life. Right. Which I was a little bit, but not completely because I knew he was, he was just a, a crazy old black man that wore cowboy boots and a full jean outfit. I've definitely had some weird, <laughs> weird lift Uber experiences. What's, what's your weirdest one? Is that, is that your weirdest that, one? That's the weirdest one. Like <laughs> the one I just described. Like, because I remember it started, I'll say this one more thing and then you can say yours, but it started off because I was with someone else that I was working with. Uh, he, he, he pulls up and he says, uh, he says to like my coworker, like, oh, go ahead and get in the back. And he opens up the trunk. And I'm like, what the, <laughs> what, how is this, what, where's this going to go? And he opened, he opens up the trunk and he flips up the seat because he has his back seat, like not, <laughs> but the way he said it, it was like, okay, am I going to get murdered today? I'm like, but yeah, uh, what were you going to say? I didn't mean to uh, make that sound weird. Um, oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> I was at a music festival in Sacramento and back in 2015 for TBD. And I stayed at a hotel across the river, which was literally like, you know, like a mile or two away on the west yeah. side of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. You know where, where TBD was, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like near the Rivercat Stadium. It's in West Sacramento. This big yeah. pile of dirt. I wasn't far away from it. I was with a group of friends. And we get this van to pick us up. It's like minivan, you know, a soccer mom van. But it was like an Indian dad that picked us up and drove us across the bridge. And we see that we see the festival. And then for whatever reason, in his GPS looped him back around and we drove all the way to East Sacramento. Good, good uh, 20 minute detour. And uh, oh, that sucked. That sucked. <laughs> we, kept trying, we kept trying to tell him, hey, man, you know, the festival is like right there. And he was like, yep. Uh-huh. He was like, we're going east now. And it was west. And he's like, mm, yes. Mm-hmm. He didn't really. He didn't really. That's so weird. What it's was like going was... on. And, and then he brought us to our quote unquote destination and it was nowhere near where we needed to be. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. I wish I could tell you the specifics because this was way off and it sucked big time. But then we went down to like the suburbs area where all the homes were in Southwest Sacramento. And then we went like, it took like 30 minutes to what should have been a five minute drive. Right. And it was that's, the pain in our ass. That's, that's, that's the, crazy. On the ride home, we get this really cool guy, right? Really cool SUV, but I was wearing basketball shorts. I open up the door into the passenger seat, of course, because my friends were in the back this time. Yeah. I, I As I'm walking in or getting in to sit in the seat, my phone falls out and I didn't notice and I cl- crushed the door in it. I crushed it with the door as I was closing it. Oh my God. And like literally, like perfectly, like you know how basketball shorts are, right? Mm-hmm. Really loose ones. You're sitting down in, in your car seat and sometimes your keys fall out or something. Mm-hmm. Dude, it was perfectly timed. It fell out right in between the door and the car as soon as I slammed it shut. The, oh my God. It was a crazy day for... Uh, if you So if you were to do it again, you'd prob- the phone would probably miss and it would fall on the ground. It'd fall through or I'd yeah. click, uh, you know, slam the door shut too quick. Mm-hmm. That, that sucked. 
That's like big time. I totally spider webbed the phone and uh, had to get it repaired. Right. How, how did we get on this topic <laughs> of lift? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm feeling it though. Yeah, exactly. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I guess uh, Dark Knight Rises next week. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Ryan should join us on that next one. So he's on brand, continuing with his Batman, uh, Batman thing. Inception, I guess we were saying we're giving it grades. Right, right. You're just going to say A+. Plus? Um, yeah, if it's going to if it's going to be the standard for Nolan films, in my mind, it's mm-hmm. an a, it's an A+. Plus. I think I would give it an A mainly because of the sound issue. Mm-hmm. Watching it again now, like on on like my home TV, but it's still it's still really good. Just really well casted and just everywhere around. Uh, and I think for Dark Knight Rises, I'm going to invest into like some good headphones and like watch, watch that, watch the rest of his films like that, or get like a nice soundbar. Mm-hmm. I could probably find a nice soundbar like on Black Friday Christmas shopping, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, join us next week or just next episode. Hope you enjoyed Inception and, and us and our discussion on it. Discussion. I guess we'll say you have any words of wisdom? Words of wisdom this week? No, I don't. I don't know if I do. Um what up your nose? It it was (laughs) twelve inches long. It wouldn't work because it'd be a foot. Inspiring words from Cameron Avery. With I just have to say just wear a mask, social distance, stay sane out there. And uh, listen to your subconscious because it has interesting things to say. But yeah, I guess we're signing off. See ya. See ya. (laughs) 